Well, we were in North Carolina this past month. We stopped in at one of those old school carnivals that kind of gets set up for the summer out in a parking lot. And uh, we promised Leo that he could play one of the games. You know, those booze where you can do a ring toss or shoot a basketball. And if you get one in, you, you get a prize, you get a stuffed animal. Well, as Leo's trying to decide which one game he's going to do, I am watching people play that game where you kind of take a softball and you toss it into a, a wood barrel. Right? It looks very, very simple. Toss the ball into the barrel all of three feet away, and you win a prize. Goodness, do it three times, and you get one of those really big stuffed animals. And I'm watching person after person do this. I mean, they, 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 they try a soft toss, they try a high toss, they try a low toss, and they all go in, and they bounce out. And I don't want to spoil Leo's excitement, so I don't say anything, but it's quickly dawning on me that this game, it looks so easy, it looks so obvious. It's rigged. <laughs> you can't win. Our parable this morning, it looks so easy, so obvious what you know, the right thing is, but I'm telling you, the story is rigged. Let's see if we can discover how. Two men, they go up to the temple to pray. Interesting, the only story Jesus tells that takes place in a religious context. All the other parable stories take place in the great wide world, but this one, one just for us. Two men, they go to the same church to pray. And in our time, we really we don't have a great sense for what a Pharisee was and a tax collector was. Those images do, do not create within us sort of a, a, visceral, a visceral pull, either to love and admire right away or, or abhor right away, as they would have for the original audience. What we do know is that Luke's not trying to point out what every Pharisee was like, what every tax collector was like. He's pri providing caricatures of people types, good and beyond the pale. But again, it's really hard for us in our time to appreciate these two characters at sort of a visceral response level. And so if you'll permit me a bit of, of creative license, I want to tell Jesus's parable here in a slightly expanded way that has us consider some of the types of the good and bad that we name in our society today. Though again, my, my telling will be more expansive than, than Jesus's. It's the same premise. It's the same point. The good and the bad, perhaps more familiar with those we trust and consider right or don't in our time. Four people walked in to church one Sunday morning to pray. One man, he's just parked his F-150. It's got a God Bless America bumper sticker on it next to an American flag bumper sticker with the, the kind of blue line through it. And he's got a Make America Great hat again on with a Come and Take It uh, t-shirt. And he's just putting his phone in his pocket, having caught the notification from Fox News, <laughs> putting that away for worship. He's ready to pray. And not only ready to pray in church, but ready to bring prayer back to school. He knows the 2020 election was fishy at best. He's angered by the government overreach at Mar-a-Lago. But he does take solace in the fact that the state of Florida does seem to be showing the rest of everybody how to 
govern rightly. And the Supreme Court's in a good place. He lives by the motto, faith, family, friends. Another, she walks in having just parked her Prius with the coexist bumper sticker on there, right next to the bumper sticker of her uh, yoga, yoga studio name where she's been practicing before yoga was even a thing. She's got a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on. She's got a hand-knit purse made by artisans in Guatemala who were paid a fair wage for their work. She's just putting her phone away after seeing the recent Times notification pop across. She's not only ready to pray in church, she's ready to protest out on the square until they take down the Confederate monument. She knows Liz Cheney's the only Republican that can tell the truth. She's found renewed hope in the recent FBI search, but she has great despair every time she thinks about the Supreme Court. She lives by the motto, love is love. A third man walks in. He just parked his beige Honda Accord, no bumper stickers, 250,000 miles because he thinks it makes sense to just keep the car until it stops running. He's wearing an IZOD polo and pleated khakis. He's just fit, flipped his phone closed after making sure that it's on silence. And he tucks his Bible he's been carrying into worship for 30 years under his arm. He's not only ready to pray in church, he's ready to pray with his grandchildren next weekend when they come for a visit and pray bedside with his wife each night. He knows the country's seen better days and he can remember them. He appreciates when sensible voices aren't crowded out by the loud on the left and the right. And he believes we just all need to do our part in the local context and not worry about the national noise. His motto is be the change you want to see. Who's the good one? We'll get to the fourth in a moment, but I know all of these are caricatures, much like the Pharisee and tax collectors were caricatures in Jesus' story. We don't line up perfectly, I imagine, with any one of these three, but I would bet there's one of these three more than the others that, that on the whole we either cannot stand or might have significant reservations about based on some of the descriptions we heard. And then I would bet there's one of the three more than the others that we would prefer to have as a coworker or next door neighbor or a mentor or someone we could be real with in the parking lot after worship. One of these three, more than others, we probably think, okay, no, they're not perfect. They've got their failings. But generally, they have the right sensibilities, right perspectives, right way of voting, right way of acting. Generally, they're good. Will the Make America Great hat man be praised to God? Thank God. I believe all lives matter. I don't waste my time with identity politics. I don't walk around with my chin up because I have a fair wage purse from Guatemala and I think my ed education makes me better than everybody else. And thank God I'm, I'm not complacent and scared like this guy in the face of real dangers in our country. Thank God I can see through what they're all about and I go a different way. I give to the church. I give to the NRA. I help out at the soup kitchen. The coexist bumper sticker woman, she prays to God. Thank God I actually see and stand up for marginalized people. Thank God I don't fall for conspiracy 
theories, and I don't hold my chin up thinking that a gun can solve any of our problems. And thank God I'm not complacent and blind to the realities our countries are facing. Thank God I can see what these two are all about, and I go a different way. I give to the church. I give to Planned Parenthood. I help out at the soup kitchen. The Izod shirt man, he prays to God, thank God I'm level-headed. Thank God I'm not even on social media, and I don't get caught up in the fruitless anger of him and the divisive protests of her. Thank God I was born in a time and place where I know better. Thank God I can see what they're all about, and I go a different direction. I give to the church. I give to Compassion International. I help out at the soup kitchen. The very first line of our scripture today Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Jesus tells this parable to good people. Whichever one of the three is our good, good people, humble and kind people, but given where things are today, people who understandably have some contempt for, disdain for others who just don't get it, who in fact are wrong. I wonder if there are certain people or, or, or groups, these three, if we're honest, we are apt to hold in a measure of contempt. Not that they or, or others or we don't have very real sins to, to confront and deal with and work with, but, 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 but for the most part, we look upon them and, and, and they are part of that, that tax collector kind of thing that's just beyond the pale. And, and mostly, we just look down. Now, I did say... My expanded version of this parable has four people. So the fourth walks through. She um, doesn't look up at any of the other three. She could not tell you about the man's hat or the woman's purse or the man's shirt. This is the woman who three years ago uh, told Michelle and I that um, she was pregnant with a, a baby and she wanted to make an adoption plan with us that we might be the baby's adoptive parents. And turned out this woman had done the same thing to dozens of other couples over the course of years, sometimes leading couples on for months at a time as they prepared and painted a nursery and threw a baby shower and settled into that joyful sense that finally we're going to be parents. Sometimes it's strung along all the way to the point where the, the parents would show up to the hospital ready for the big day. Of course, she never showed up because there was never any baby. She made thousands on empty promises and broke dozens of hearts at a profound level. The hats, the purse, the shirts, they all agree just how grateful they are. They're not that low. The woman, after entering, she stands far off, will not even look up to heaven and she beats her chest and says, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I tell you, 
Jesus then declares. This woman who, you notice, made no, no promises to change, no admission of specific guilt, she's the one who went home justified rather than the other three. Justified, the one I have declared right, the one I have declared good. For all who exalt themselves, all who can name the ways they are gratefully not like them, all who know they're not perfect, but goodness, not like that, they're trusting in their own goodness. And it's a broken platform. They will be humbled. And all who humble themselves, those whose eyes never even travel far enough to notice the hat or the purse or the shirt, those who feel the shame or the, or the pain or the, of the confession well up almost like throwing up one's soul. Oh, they will be raised. I was talking with someone the other week who has gone to AA for a number of years at this point, and he shared at a time early in, in that endeavor when he met a woman who also goes to uh, church, and she, she likes her church a lot, and said, but you know what, if for some reason it ever came down to it where I had to choose between the church and my AA meetings... I'd stick with my AA meetings. This person shared with me that he's thought a lot about that statement over the years and, and looks at me and says, you know what? It's true. If I had to, for some reason, choose between the two, I'd stick with the AA meetings. And I said, why? He thought for a few moments. I don't know, maybe, he said, maybe because we all have something in common that if we give into it, it's going to kill us. And we all know it. He went on to describe how the AA room is this group of people you would never find gathered for anything else. I mean, diverse in every way you can think of. These people would never seek each other one and out uh, as friends or neighbors or whatever in any other context. But here, in this space, the kinship runs so What they share is whatever is known when you stop looking around at other people and all the ways that they are wrong, they are less, thank God I'm not like them, and just speak from a place where the eyes cannot even raise. I wouldn't go to church if it meant I give up the place where people know me at my worst. The place where I have not an ounce of moral superiority. The place where... where I can only fall on the forgiveness of God. And somehow from that space, really only from that space, does the possibility exist for MAGA hats and Guatemala purses and Izod shirts and adoption liars to weep and shared kinship. I wouldn't give up that space. The pastor, writer, theologian, Frederick Buechner, he died at 96 this past week. A few decades ago, he made this observation about AA and, and the church. He said, I, I also I believe that what goes on in AA meetings is far closer to what Christ meant his church to be and what it originally was than much of what goes on in most churches I know. 
These groups, these AA groups, have no buildings or official leadership or money. They have no rummage sales, no altar guilds, no every member canvases. They have no preachers, no choirs, no liturgy, no real estate. They have no creeds. They have no program. They want make you wonder if the best thing that could happen to many a church might not be to have its building burned down and lose all of its money. Then all that the people would have left would be God and each other. What if the church fell as far as AA meetings? Of course, we need to be careful, right? For we may say, I see it. I don't want to be the Pharisee. I don't want to be the hat, the purse, the shirt. I I see the disdain that they carry within. We must be like the sinner who prays from, 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 from their brokenness, not like these others. You see, this is how Jesus' story is rigged. Can't win. Always. There's, there's, there's somebody, whether the parable has two people, four people, or a million people, always there's, there's someone we're grateful not to be like. Always someone we rightly look down upon because, yeah, look. If there's one way to win this rigged story, it's really, you just have to drop every single ball. Every ball of the good deeds, the good credentials, the good family name, the good courageous confessions you've made, every last ounce of, 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 of what we think of as count, just drop the balls and then, and then stop the head swivel looking left and right to sort of get our, our standing on where we are in terms of goodness with others. And instead you just look down at the ground of our being who is God. And hear God's voice speak afresh, for it is by grace you have been saved. This is not from yourself. This is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then from that space, let Jesus, who humbled himself to be on our level, embrace us in that puddle of honest anxiety and, and doubt or addiction or pain or shame. And what a gift when Jesus offers that embrace through the body of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus enfleshed. Talk about being raised to the high, highest of heights, if you might know that. Wouldn't it be something if humility were our path to hope? Is it any wonder Jesus' very first word of public ministry was repent? Would that the church might be a space where a surprisingly diverse people can gather and fall together and so rise together. Amen.